Welcome to the Apostolic Keynote Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church. This message is by Colin Urquhart. This morning we're going to focus on one little word and another word that that will lead on to. But it's a word that has profound consequences in the gospel and in the New Testament. We know that God is wanting everything to focus on his purpose, which in this season is to take us into harvest. More and more fruit for the kingdom of God. And uh, he's spoken to us about the river of life that flows from the throne and that By the side of that river in scripture, there are the fishermen who are throwing in their nets because wherever that water flows, death is turned to life. And there's abundance of of fish in the water. And so they cast their nets, not their rods and their lines. Now, we spoke also at the end of the first week of term, about the power of the corporate anointing. And you will have experienced that on the, the crosswalk in London, how that corporate anointing can enable a fruitfulness that you as an individual uh, could, not, uh, could not work. But together with the corporate anointing and the prayer and everything, uh, many thousands of people could be blessed, touched, introduced to the word of God in some way. So everything that God does effectively in our lives is the result of anointing. So we need that personal anointing. We need to be part of the Corporate anointing. The little word that we're going to focus on is the word come. And there are four key passages in the New Testament where this word is vital for us to understand. The first, of course, is when Jesus first called the disciples, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We will not be effective fishers of men with the crosswalk or sowing, lots of good seed, But, of course, harvest is the reaping. And we will not be effective in reaping unless the Lord makes us fishers of men. It won't be through our activity. It won't, you know, uh, that we organize or anything like that. It will be because of the anointing that he will make us fishers of men. 
But Jesus says that the key to that is to follow him. So our focus remains on him, not the harvest. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So what Jesus did with the disciples was he spent these three, three and a half years with them, focusing on who he is and, and what he is able to do and what they are able to do because of their faith in him. So if we're going to be fishers of men, we will keep not just seeking Jesus, but following Jesus. We will keep our focus on him. But our prayer will be that he will make us fishers of men. Whatever that might mean. I think when Jesus said it to the disciples, they wouldn't have had a clue as to what it meant. I mean, you imagine this preacher, they, they probably heard Jesus preach, but they didn't know him personally, and he comes walking along <coughs> by the Sea of Galilee, and he says to these fishermen, come follow me. Now, their response was immediate. And if the Lord is saying, come, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, our response is immediate. What did it require of them, those first disciples? They had to leave their nets. They had to leave everything that was familiar, what they had been doing, they had to leave. Stop. Immediately. And follow him. All kinds of other fishing on the internet or in any other way, all other kinds of fishing stopped. For them, it wasn't the internet, it was the fish in the Sea of Galilee. But whatever takes up our time and our attention and our focus stops. If we're going to be fishers of men. You can walk with Jesus at a personal level without being a fisher of men and hold on to all kinds of th other things that you want to continue in your life. But Jesus is really saying to those disciples, if you're going to be fishers of men, this is going to occupy you completely. So there was an immediate cost for them because they had to leave what was familiar. For them, they were going to have to leave families and, and so on. I know what that's like. Uh, sometimes that's the cost of being faithful and obedient so that you can go and be a fisher of men. But whatever the cost is, that's nothing compared with the privilege of being called to be fishers of men by the King of Kings. And to have this wonderful promise, I will make you fishers of men. You will not become fishers of men by your own uh, 
initiative or anything that you can conjure up for yourself, I will make you fishers of men <coughs> as you follow me. So <clears throat> the Lord had been saying to me in these last couple of days, for me personally, but also I think for all of us corporately, I am renewing my call on your lives to be my disciples. I am saying to you afresh, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, there's a sense in which, of course, we are not at the beginning of our Christian experience like those first disciples. We're already further along the track, but... At this moment, we're not very effective fishers of men. So Jesus is obviously saying, there's something I'm going to work amongst you as you follow me that will make you fishers of men. Something that my spirit will be doing among you that will actually transform you into rod and line fishers, into net fishers, casting your nets and seeing many people come to the Lord. So it's going to be the result of what Jesus does among us. Now, another context in Scripture where this word come is evident is in the book of Revelation, where Jesus, God, is saying, as John receives this vision, Come up higher, and I will show you what is to come. Now, if what is to come is the harvest, because we're being fishers of men, and he is saying, come follow me, he is saying, come up higher. Meaning what? meaning have your focus on things above, not on earthly things. Meaning letting go, let go of those things that like the disciples had to let go and just follow Jesus. They couldn't hold on to anything that was familiar to them or, or even you know, that, that really meant so much to them at that time. It was like a new start, completely. It seemed like a tremendous step of faith because they didn't know what Jesus was going to lead them into. And Jesus didn't specify that. He didn't give them a job description and say, how about that, guys? Do you like that? Do you like the sound of that? Well, come and follow me. No, he just said, come follow me. But as Lord, of course, he spoke with great authority. And there was an authority about that command, invitation. It's both. It's an invitation. It's a command. Come, follow me. The same is true for this word from Revelation. Come up higher and I will show you what is to come. I will show you the harvest. I will show you how I'm going to use it. I will cause it all to unfold before you. So the meeting with him, the seeking after him, 
is essential to the whole process of becoming fishers of men and seeing the unfolding of God's purposes. In other words, God isn't taking us on a course of evangelism. How to evangelize so that you see harvest. He's saying, no, I am the harvester. And so your ability to gather the harvest is going to be dependent upon me and your relationship with me. Not anything else that you can devise. So, <clears throat> come follow me. Come up higher and I will show you what is to come. Now, this has to be a walk of faith. The third context in which this word comes is when Jesus is walking on the water. And he is making out to, he's going to pass by the boat. You all know the, the context. And it's Peter who is in the safety and the security of the boat with the other disciples who says to Jesus, if that's you, bid me come to you on the water. And Jesus simply said, come. It's one word, come. But Peter heard that word, and so he stepped out. And of course, at first, he began to walk on the water. Why? Because his eyes were on Jesus. It was only when he took his eyes off Jesus and onto the circumstances that he began to sink. And then he had to cry out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out and saved him. But how do you think they got back to the boat? Did they swim or did they walk? Or did Jesus walk and Peter swim? No, no, Peter walked with Jesus on the water. When I, when I began as the vicar of the church in Luton, the very first sermon I preached, the first Sunday after I became the vicar there, I preached on Jesus walking on the water. Little did I understand how prophetic it was going to be. And I can remember saying at the end of that sermon, because, you know, this was a typical Anglican congregation, no, nobody was born again at this point. And I just said to the people, I am going to get out of the security of the boat and walk on the water with Jesus. Is anybody prepared to come with me? They wouldn't have had a clue as to what that would mean, nor did I at the time. But you see, God un folded it and we saw an amazing move of God as a result but there isn't going to be harvest without faith and faith that God will do what we cannot do you see there's no way that we can walk on water without Jesus I've heard testimonies of some people that have, have experienced this when they've been in a situation of need 
but it's been the Lord that has caused it to happen. As with all supernatural things in the gospel, it is the power of God, it's the power of his spirit that enables. So come follow me. Come up higher and I will show you what is to come. Come. Walk on the water with me because you're not going to see harvest without the supernatural. Without supernatural events, without supernatural miracles, God is beginning to do more and more of those and we praise him for that because this whole process of harvest is just beginning to break out amongst us. And then there's the well-known scripture where Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. This coming is to me, come follow me. Come up higher and I will show you what is to come. Come and you will walk on the water with me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am humble and gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. So, if any of us ever think, during this whole process, this is too much for me. I don't know if I can handle this, I can't hack it, I mean... What is God calling me to? His answer is, well, come to me, and I will give you rest. Be yoked together with me, because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's not going to be a heavy scene. It's going to be a wonderful scene. Amen? So, uh, you ever feel under pressure? Simply come to me. It's very easy, isn't it? There are times when we all feel under pressure, but we know what the answer is. Come to Jesus. Come to me. And I will give you rest. Now, this is where the come takes us into the other word that is connected, rest. Where do we find this rest? In Jesus We read in Hebrews of the rest of faith. That actually if we are going to get out of the boat and walk by faith with Jesus, that's not going to be a fearful thing to do. It's going to be a peaceful thing to do. Because that rest speaks to us of that peace, that sense of total well-being. Come to me, and I will give you rest. One of the scriptures I speak over my life every day. I will give you peace. I will give you well-being. No matter what it is I call you to do, no matter what the pressures, no matter what the cost, come to me, and I will give you rest. And of course, this takes us on to 
what Jesus was saying to the disciples at the Last Supper. Abide in me, rest in me, remain in me, and I in you. Come to me, rest in me, I will be in you, the harvester will be in you, you will become fishers of men. You can see the logical way in which God puts it all together. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Rest in my love. You see, what is going to impact the unsaved? The love of God. But telling people God loves them is not nearly as powerful as showing them his love. And that's where love is such an essential part of evangelism. Father, may they be one so that the world will know that you have sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Love is Jesus' principal way of evangelizing. And that love that is seen between disciples. Love one another as I have loved you. This is the command that, of course, goes with the new covenant. So that corporate love is going to somehow enable the gospel to be effectively proclaimed and received by people that at present are living in darkness. It's more impacting to see love than to hear it, hear about it. To actually be on the receiving end of it than just have somebody tell you Jesus loves you. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I believe this is why John says in his uh, epistle, let us not word Let us not love with word and tongue, but with deed and truth. It's easy to say God loves you. And there's a context, like when you're on the street with with the, the crosswalk, for example, there's an anointing there. So and and you're in a corporate thing and people it's not just, you know, some one off stranger coming up to you. But the words need to be backed up by the reality. And when we say, you know, God loves you, what's got to come across to people is that we love them. That we're not saying this like spiritual parrots that are repeating a biblical truth, but that people understand that we are expressing something out of a heart of love, compassion, care, concern for them. Because it's those things that actually are communicated. Even by the way you speak, by the way you, you, you speak to people about the love of God. So as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
So we've got this collection of scriptures. And I believe God's putting them together and saying, okay, you want to see harvest, you want to become fishers of men, here's the score. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come up higher, keep your focus on things above, and I will show you what is to come. Get out of the safety and security of the known. Step out in faith, in boldness of faith with me as my spirit leads you and you will walk on water with me and you will see the supernatural power of God at work. Not just in miracles, but it's supernatural to see someone saved. I mean, if we're going to see a harvest of thousands of people being saved, that's a thousands of supernatural act, uh, actions by God. So, you know, get out of the security of the known. Leave behind your former ways of fishing. And now you're going to be fishers of men with your focus on things above. And whatever pressures you feel under, just come to me. Be yoked with me. Walk with me. And you will walk with the harvester. There won't be any harvest without him. You understand that? So he will give you rest. Rest in him. Peace in him. Abiding in him. Unity with him. And unity, therefore, with one another, with all the others that are in him. Abide in my love. Abide in me. Live in the rest of faith of which we read in Hebrews. Let me just read you some verses of Hebrews 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. A little later he says, it still remains that some will enter that rest and some who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. And so on. So the rest of God comes out of faith. Trust in him. Putting his word into operation in our lives. Now, what does all this mean for us practically? There's a little you, just one of a few dozen people here, a few hundred people in the church. There's this multitude of unsaved people out there in the world. God saying, there's going to be a harvest, hundreds of them you're going to see coming to the Lord in the coming months. 
because that's what harvest means. And you look at a little you and what's going on in your life and you think, how can I make any difference? How can what is happening in my life make any difference to this whole scenario? Oh yes, I'll play my part in the corporate thing that is happening because I'm part of the body. But how can what is happening in my life really be of any consequence? Does it really matter if I watch Game of Thrones and rubbish like that? It is totally ungodly. Does it really matter? Yes, it matters. Of course it matters. Because, you see, God says, come follow me. And he says, set your mind on things above. Come up higher. Higher than that. A lot higher than that. It matters. Because at this moment, God is preparing the harvesters. And uh, by my understanding, the time is short. I mean, God said to me the other day, I've told you that harvest will replace faith camp, you won't have time to organize faith camp because of the harvest. I think, wait a minute, this time, usually, everybody's beginning to get frantic, preparing for faith camp. So does that mean the harvest has got to really, really, really get underway within the next few weeks? So that by the time we would have been at faith camp, we'll be in harvest instead. I, I mean, I took Jesus to mean that. Which means that what is happening in us now is of importance. I mean, how would it be, you see, if Jesus said to his disciples, come follow me. But instead of leaving their nets, they said, well, let's just bring our nets with us because you never know when we might need them. Let's drag a few things along that, oh, I'll do too much harm, really. I mean, God knows I love him. But of course, Peter did go back fishing, didn't he? During the time of the resurrection. And Jesus had to say to him, Peter, do you love me more than these? Not more than these other disciples, but more than these fish. Do you love me more than fishing, going back to the old things? 
the old way of life. Do you really love me more? So, because you're here by God's call, you matter. And what's going on in your life matters. And what goes on in my life matters. God's still cutting me free from a few things that have mattered to me but not to him. Hello. Come the harvest, you don't have time for other things. But that's when the harvest is really underway. Meanwhile, God is just equipping the harvesters. So what we need for harvest is a combined harvester. And his name is Jesus. He combines everything, puts it all together, and enables the harvest. Hallelujah. So he is the key to everything, isn't he? I'm not saying anything revolutionary to you. You know all this. But he's just putting these things together. Okay, has God called you to Rafi or has God called you to follow him? Oh, he's called you to be at Rafi, but that's only as part of following him. Your call isn't to Rafi, your call is to Jesus. Come follow me. Come up higher and I will show you. Come and walk on the water with me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in my love. Rest in my love. It really is all about him, isn't it? So we thank you, Jesus. Let me just put it this way. Anything God tells you to let go of is nowhere near as valuable as Jesus. It's just a question of getting our priorities right, isn't it? He is your life. He is your love. He is your future in this life and for all eternity.
He is the harvester. He is our enabler. So, I'm just there having my prayer time two or three days ago, and God says to me, Colin, I renew my call on your life to be my disciple. You think, wait a minute, that happened 50, 60 years ago or more. And he said, I renew this call. Leave your nets. Leave everything. Follow me. Hallelujah. And I will make you fish. See, I know what it is to be a fisher of men. I would never call myself an evangelist because my ministry has been uh, of another nature. But, you see, as an apostle, you're sort of, it's an umbrella ministry. And so God has used me evangelistically. I've literally seen thousands, probably tens of thousands, of people come to the Lord. Not because I'm an evangelist, but because of the anointing. Now, that's a fisher of man because of following Jesus, living in the good of the anointing. And so I know he's saying to me, and I believe he's saying to all of us, okay, I'm renewing my call on your lives to become fishers of men. And he would do that. I don't know how he'd do it. I don't know what he needs to do in you. I know some of what he needs to do in me, but he would do it. He will make us fishers of men. It just involves letting go of anything and everything. That would be a hindrance to that. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily besets us. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. It's all about Jesus, keeping your eyes on Jesus, following Jesus, getting out of the boat and walking on water with Jesus, abiding in Jesus, following Jesus. And he will do it. I will make you fishers of men. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.